Uh, good morning again. Um, uh, it's good to see you all. Um, this is, like I say every week, this is the coziest time of year, I think. Um, and it's, um, it is good to be up here to get to share um, just a week of uh, reflection and study on um, the scripture. Uh, this is almost as much as I like the season. Uh, this, uh, this series has been really, really fun. Um, so what we're doing for Advent is we're taking the chapter one of the Gospel of John, um, and then we are, and we are looking at these allusions to um, Jesus, promises about Jesus, descriptions of him, and then looking later on in the book about how Jesus actually fulfills these things. Um, and so what we're going to do here this morning is we're looking at um, John the Baptist, who came as the witness uh, to the light. Um, so there are a few Johns. We'll have to keep straight here. John, There's John, the author of this book, and then John the Baptist, the one who's going to be referenced here is talking about John the Baptist. So let me go ahead and uh, read our passage, and I'll pray, and then uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, This is John 1, verses 6 through 8, and then we'll jump down to chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. And now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray briefly. Dear Jesus, would you be at the center of our minds and our hearts and our understanding this morning? Uh, Would you bestow upon us the spirit that you give so generously? Uh, that we might see you above all things and we might find rest in you and life for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we've said it uh, several times and we'll, we'll keep saying it through the Advent season of just explaining what this season is about. Um, and it is a season of waiting and it's a season of longing. And we're doing that because throughout the history of God's people, um, that has been a characteristic element of what it has been like um, to follow God. 
Um, there have been times of intense waiting. Uh, we think of the time before Jesus came as a period um, of great darkness where there had been no word from the Lord for a long, long, long time. Um, and so what we are doing is together with them as fellow saints, we are all rehearsing this story together and that we feel that. And we don't just have it in our heads, but we feel it in our hearts and even to our bones. But especially in light of what happened um, uh, during the Advent season when the baby Jesus was born, uh, that we are also now waiting in a new way. And that we are waiting with a sign of fulfillment of where the waiting had led to before. And that that sign of fulfillment is a sign that is pointing forward. And that we, like we are all waiting for many, many things, um, that we have this sure sign that has been given from God that Christ will come again like he came last time, and that he will come and he will set all things right. Uh, He will wipe away every tear and he will bring the fullness of joy um, of the kingdom. And so our lives now, as we rehearse, it is towards the future, and that is really, really good news. But there is better news than even than that, because we are in this in-between time and that what we have here in the gospel is not just a future projection of where the story is going to lead, but we have an intimate fellowship and communion with Jesus, our Savior, through his Holy Spirit in the meantime. And that when John is going to talk about life and eternal life, this is not just a future reality, but that this is something to be tasted and enjoyed and felt here in the meantime, enjoying life with God. Intimate fellowship, intimate communion, even now, as we are looking forward and as we are waiting. And this is what I think John is serving us here this morning. He is serving us um, a communion with the Father that he wants us to see um, that is very much applicable here to our present lives um, as well. Um, We're talking about this theme of darkness and light, which is a theme that um, John brought up um, in John chapter 1, and that the darkness is connected with this idea of waiting, of longing for the light. Um, But there's a particular way here that John is coming as a witness to the light. Um, And so he is a human figure that has been sent by God um, who is meant to point to Jesus, who is the true light, who is to come. He is not the light, but he has come to point um, to the true light, um, who is Jesus himself. Uh, But the situation that he is entering into is a situation where we will see and we will unpack uh, there is no shortage of other voices and sources of wisdom um, that one might um, look to uh, and look into to find life. And, of course, it is not a a difficult jump to make that we know a little bit about what that feels like today, Um, that there is a particular kind of darkness when we feel like we are desperate for wisdom and we don't know who to trust. When we have no shortage of opinions... We have no shortage of sources to find wisdom, no shortage of need for wisdom, and yet we don't know how to connect our need uh, with the actual truth. And so John is going to, in this theme of bearing witness, is going to invite us to think about um, this aspect of wisdom, uh, where we get wisdom, um, and what it is like to be people who are longing for wisdom. I think if we look at our lives, we know that... um, We are probably at a time in history where we know more than anyone ever has has known in the past as far as information, and yet still uh, we have issues in our lives that we don't know what to do with. We don't know how to fix them. Um, They can be in family, in society, 
They can be in the longings that we have that go unfulfilled. Um, And we are constantly having to evaluate how are these things, these voices that we're getting, are they actually going to give us life or not? And I also think we would be lying if we said that we don't, um, that the choices we make on a daily basis uh, don't often give us the life that we hope. Um, Just think about the difference between December and January. All the things we are eating and drinking that give a a wonderful euphoria and sense of life um, that we get to January and that they say, I have just taken one year of your life away. Um, <laughs> um, so this is the this is the issue that we have to we have to ask. But what I want to show us in here is that God is not passive in this darkness. And that if we had read further um, in John one verse nine, that when John says that he is the witness to the light, he's not the light. But he says even now, the true light is coming into the world. That God is actively not passively, but he is actively moving towards his people in the darkness and the confusion and the longings that they are in to bring light, both towards the future and right now. And so that's what we're going to look into is that what is Jesus up to? Um, and true to form, then we've got three things here. Um, I think that Jesus is challenging earthly versions of wisdom. Um, he is giving and bestowing a kind of heavenly wisdom. Um, but he is also empowering his people in order to proclaim wisdom at the same time. Um, and that's the way that we're going to go. Uh, first, and he's challenging earthly forms of wisdom. And I think that, you know, we know it is only natural that being finite beings that we, I mean, we have to grapple with um, life to try to figure it out and find ways that we can, you know, move forward and thrive and live and do the things that we need to do. Uh, some are good and some are worse, um, worse than others. Uh, but look in here, this is, um, this is kind of, look at verse 25. Um, and this is kind of where some of those, those natural longings tend to, tend to go in different directions and different solutions. Um, it says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Um, there's not a lot more information here than that, other than it's probably some kind of conversation about the legitimacy of how baptism matches on to Jewish cleansing ceremonies. But then they came to John almost with a different issue, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to see him. And so, like, it's, it's almost like the conversation has shifted. Like, they started into this debate with, um, you know, probably a Jewish teacher, and then it drew attention to the fact that John is losing disciples, and there are, there are disciples going to Jesus, and is kind of creating a bit of anxiety in their lives about... Uh, this idea of wisdom is that who is the one who actually has um, the corner on this? And I think you know, there's just several things I want to point out that um, there are jumps that we can make from this world into the world today. Um, one is I see that one of the options for wisdom here is just that of titles and credentials. Like look at who, how John is referred to. He's referred to as a rabbi. And that doesn't mean it wasn't a technical thing at this time in the first century, but it was a distinction of wisdom. Um, and it does make us think about our culture, about the sources of where we get wisdom. And titles and credentials, degrees, um, those kinds of things are one of the ways we verify that somebody is uh, knows what they're talking about um, or they're not. Um, and that is not inherently a bad thing. Like I would say, please listen to people who know what they're talking about. 
Um, and don't always just go with, you know, a gut impulse. That's just a, pris- a principle of wisdom um, that um, is, it will, help, will help you through life, um, is to listen to um, um, people who know what they're talking about. But, there, but when we think about it in a broader sense, like, so I have in my office a diploma that says Master of Divinity on it. And I'm not the first person to point out that is the most ridiculous title anybody could give um, for a degree, a Master of Divinity. Um, and that is often said it should be the other way around, um, mastered by divinity. And of course, you go to seminary and you learn a lot of things about where true wisdom is found and truth and those kinds of things. And they are very helpful. Uh, they are both needed. But if we step back and think about it, I, I'm not even the most like educated in this room on theological issues, for one thing. Uh, but second of all, if you haven't noticed, divinity has not been settled or mastered like in a general sense, like have all of the like questions that you have about divinity been answered as the result of talking to somebody with a master of divinity? I, I think you should say no um, <laughs> to that question. Like it's a good thing, but it's just inherently limited. And we have to ask again the question, like we have a lot of experts in life about a lot of things. But ask yourself, are you actually less anxious than you were or would have been. And I don't think many of us would say yes. Like, I feel like I'm at a better, more stable position in life in terms of feeling, getting rid of my anxiety, feeling like my life has purpose and meaning in those things. It's finite. It's inherently limited. But another way, not to mention the fact that we have so many experts who are, like, saying competing things against each other, and it makes it hard to decide. Um, So another option we have is we have personalities, like in here, and I do recognize that one of these personalities is Jesus, so just for a second, put that aside, um, and that's a little bit cheating in some way. But one of these um, te- rabbis, teachers, uh, has more drawl than the other. Um, so they both are rabbis, but one is bringing a crowd and one is not. Um, and that's one of the sources that is creating some kind of anxiety. And I think we also know, if we're honest, that we really like people of certain personalities. There are just certain ways that certain people have about them, whether it's charisma, that they give the impression um, of security in listening to them. Or they speak in a way in a vocabulary that really jives with us, that speaks to us in in some way. And that so it's these individuals and these people um, that end up, they, they are a great source of wisdom. And are people inherently bad? Of course they're not. But again, it's finite and limited. I mean, because for one thing, people come and people go. And I'll never forget, I remember my dad saying, we, when I was a teenager, we moved from the church. My dad, my dad was a uh, church planner, pastor. Um, we moved to Budapest, Hungary, and he had, you know, well-beloved pastor of a church for a long, long time. And one of the hard things about him leaving uh, was that a lot of the work that Jesus had done in people was attributed to him personally. And now, was it true work of Jesus? Of course it was. But can any individual replace, actually fill up that thing that we need as a source of wisdom? Uh, It feels like it, but I think it doesn't take a whole lot of forethought to say that people are inherently limited. And they are good things, but they are inadequate uh, replacements for the kind of wisdom that we actually long for. Not to mention 
uh, the many stories that we have of where that has gone awry and you know, led many people astray. But there's another thing here in this, in just when we talk about the crowd, there's something about external crowds and external validations that are ripe sources of wisdom. And this is, if you've ever like bought a stroller or something like this and gone on social media, it's very, very helpful because you get to see all of the other opinions uh, where people saying you need this one and not that one. And then you feel like, oh, I've made a wise choice. I've not made a foolish choice because there is external validation. But then again, it doesn't take a whole lot of forethought to think about that, that external validation is a good thing. It is a way that we can minister to each other. Um, But people thinking that we are wise is not the same thing as actually being wise. And groups of people throughout history have a notorious track record for reinforcing themselves and also being unwise at the same time. And so here's what's happening. Jesus is coming on the scene, and John is using these terms earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. This doesn't mean earthly is bad, but it means that earthly is finite. And he is taking priority of wisdom over all of these things. And that where they might have elements of good, there is something that is way more valuable that actually comes from, the he- from heaven, from the heavenly perspective that can make sense of what life is all about. And that derives from him alone. And I think we could say, I've heard this illustration used uh, before, I think it applies here. You know, if we all went and tried to jump across the Grand Canyon, some of us would jump further than others. I mean, that's just, that's a fact. None of us would make it all the way across the Grand Canyon. And if there was actual wisdom, it would be to help each other find the way to get around a bridge or something like that, in which of case, of course, everybody could get across. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is challenging almost like, you know, a, a, a dog and a dog pack. You know, they have to, you're not getting rid of all of the other dogs, but he's the alpha dog. He's saying that when it comes to wisdom, that he comes first. And everything else finds its value in relation to him. And so what does that do for us? And kind of one of the things that we have to see, like, and and when I first read this passage, then all of these words of like decrease and you can't have anything on your own, just jump out. But Jesus here is not just a God of, of decrease and taking things away that make us feel comfortable. That any of those negative things he said, he is actually giving us something that is much more positive. And that he is saying that Jesus has come to give us an increase. And when he says that nobody can have anything unless it comes from heaven, that he has come with the Spirit without measure to come and to give people something that they desperately want. And he's using this term heavenly wisdom. Um, This is the second point. He gives heavenly wisdom. Um, And that is to say that it is a wisdom that fundamentally comes from above. And that is unlike any kind of wisdom that we could arrive at all on our own. And I got to say, I don't know exactly what it means. I don't fully know what this heavenly wisdom is. Uh, We know a lot of things about it. Um, Like we know, truthfully, um, how it deals with our guilt and shame. That's a true thing. 
um, that we are given in the gospel. Um, And it it is moral instruction, principles of moral instruction are true things that are given. That's an aspect of heavenly wisdom. Um, The shape of history in terms of Christ's ultimate victory over evil, that is an aspect of this kind of wisdom that God has given us. Even the shape of the story and how it works and that it comes through death and resurrection rather than ascension and self-made victory. These are aspects, but it is much more than that. Um, if we plumb the depths of the scriptures, we are just getting more and more of this stuff of what this, what this heavenly wisdom means. But I want to put this in front of you, that there is something that is abundantly clear about what this heavenly wisdom is. And it is not found in the aspects, but is found in the pronouns that are used. And the, the, it is a fundamentally about Jesus. That for whatever reason God wants, and I, I mean, this, this is really difficult. He doesn't always give us the information we want and that we desperately think that we need in order to live a full and fulfilled life. But for whatever reason, what God wants us to see is the person of Jesus, who is wisdom personified. That he is the one who has been given the full counsel of the heavenly wisdom in himself. He is the one who has been given all things into his hands that he has absolute control of, that he can direct history in the way that he wants. He is the one here that it says that the Father loves. It is all of these things that have been bestowed on him that he comes in order to offer that to his people. And in some ways, that's not entirely satisfying for him to say, I know what you want. What I'm giving you is myself and the promise that I am with you. And the promise that I love you. And the promise that the things that I'm directing, they are not even just coming with the knowledge of your your suffering, but with holes in my hands. I know. And I'm with you no matter where you go. This is what he is promising. And I think one of the things that that challenges this, it's not dismissing the things we're trying to understand about life. Those are good questions. But it is taking priority. There's something our souls crave that is a lot deeper than knowing stuff that Jesus has come to answer. And it is more important to him that you know that than know this information. And I kind of thought about it in terms of, um, I took one of my kids to Children's Hospital, which is a wonderful establishment. Uh, None of this is knocking Children's Hospital here in Birmingham. But I, for the life of me, could not find my way through that place. Um, we, I thought we were on time and we ended up way late just because we we're wandering around and trying to get from the parking deck to all it said was that to clinic five on the instructions. And I don't like the signs are all this information. I don't know what it's talking about, know what floor it's on. I asked the security guard, get some vague information. Uh, and there are a lot of things that are going through my head. One is that I don't know what I'm doing for one thing. I don't know where to go. So there's that sense of being lost. Um, There's also this sense of frustration that surely this could be more clear in the instruction somewhere. And that turns into uh, ridiculous thoughts that I don't even know that this place likes children in general. (laughs) But let me turn it around and see how this scenario would be different. If we had shown up and somebody had met us at the door and checked us in at that point and said, just follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. And all along the way, you get to chat with them, and they point out, 
there's some fun Christmas decorations over here that you didn't even see last time because you're so frustrated. And here's where we do this. Like, this stuff, it might not be entirely relevant to what you need to do at the time. Um, but they're always communicating and pointing stuff out. And that's a poor example to, to just point to something much, much greater. That God has given you not just information, but wisdom personified in a person. Communion with wisdom itself. Because what he wants is for his people to see him and find rest in their souls before they turn to have everything figured out. That is the wisdom that Jesus gives us. And of course, in the end, we got to ask these questions of how does that empower us to actually um, lean into our world? And I think there are a few things. I mean, the simple truth is that um, we need wisdom. We have to interact with the means that are given us. Um, that, but, I mean, we have to interact with each other. I mean, this is one of the things like about this is that you know, you're listening to a human right now, like, talk about this. And I listen to you guys, like, during the week. And this is one of the means that God has given in order to point us to Jesus is each other. And we are entirely imperfect at that. But there is a priority that God takes. That he calls us to listen to each other. He calls us to study his word, to communicate his word, to do this in community. And yet, he still is at work. Sometimes it comes up in ways that we don't expect. Sometimes it goes poorly than others. But as he has taken the seat of the teacher, that he is actively leading his church through his community, through his witnesses, just in the way that he wants to. And here's just a couple things I want to um, uh, apply this to um, in particular. One, it, it does inform, though, who we listen to and the characters that we are looking for. Um, and that just as a reminder, like, um, credentials aren't, don't fully cut it. A personality is not going to deliver this, you know, the, what we actually want. Um, regardless of like, at the same time, it's, it, it, it's good. Like if you're on an Island and you're the only one who thinks this, that might not be a great sign, but at the same time, um, external validation is not the main source towards wisdom. And so when we listen to other people, I think those are some of the things that we are being encouraged to listen to, listen for. Is that who is the Savior that is being promoted here? I mean, Bradley read from Revelation 7 today that said at the end, Bradley Cordell did, at the end um, of, you know, in the picture of Revelation, that the message is that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And that is the message that's trustworthy is to point away from ourselves to be the one who says, I am not the Christ, but I have seen the Christ. That's one thing. It does inform of the people that we listen to. But I also think it informs our character um, at the same time. Because the thing that is abundantly persuasive here, especially we see in the witness of John, it is not his eloquence of speaking. We hardly know even what he said. But the most, I, I think... Thing that um, the most powerful thing about his witness is his response to Jesus, that what his relationship with Jesus does in his own heart. 
And I'll just illustrate it this way. Like, if you, some of you like haunted houses. We talk about haunted houses in our community group a little bit. If you go into a haunted house and come out here and just explain to me, yeah, it was really scary, there was this, that, and whatever, I'm probably not going to think it was all that scary. But if you go in and you come out and you are terrified and you can't talk straight, I'm going to think, oh, maybe there's something to this after all. And I think that mirrors onto this what Jesus is doing in John is that what is showing forth is the impact that this Savior is having on this man of John. Where he not only says, I have to decrease, but he's saying, my joy is complete because I have seen and I have tasted my Savior who has come to me. And of course, this cannot be manufactured in any kind of way. And of course, we will do this imperfectly. But knowing that, What this leads us to, especially during this season, is it turns our eyes. It helps. We acknowledge the anxieties that we have, and we acknowledge the questions that we have, and we acknowledge all the things that get us torn up inside. But it turns our eyes towards Jesus himself. And it invites us to spend time with him, to reflect upon his love, to reflect upon the communion that he actually has for us all the time, whether we feel it or not. So that what, what happens inside of us is mostly that we relax and we enjoy his embrace. You ever hug somebody and they just like stiffen up real quick and you hug somebody else? My wife is a great hugger. Uh, it's just, you just feel wrapped up in them and you feel like you're relaxed. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. To let go and to look to him and to receive his embrace. And the one who has the Spirit and who gives it without measure, the whole counsel of God, will use you. And he will accomplish his purposes through you and for you. Uh, Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we ask for all of us that you would do this. Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to relax? Would you give us the security of your embrace? that you have come to give us this season. And because of that, would you open up to us a new and a wild and a wonderful world that is not just full of darkness, but that is full of light and things to explore and things to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.